This is the second, I think now, of three. <laughs> I think I said at the beginning that there was going to be two, but my plan now is three sessions on 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. And I said that this text was pivotal as I was preparing and writing the book Future Grace, all about the future dimension and the future power of grace. Father, as we look once more at the utterly crucial importance that grace is not just a disposition of your heart to treat us better than we deserve, although that is infinitely valuable, it is also a power, a plan, a purpose, a wisdom of God exerted actively in us without which we would have no hope of living anything like the life that you call us to live. So help us understand this now and see it in this text. In Jesus' name, amen. So my, my contention is that um, grace is a power, and it's a power that is arriving in our, in our lives. That's me. <laughs> and grace is coming to be moment by moment. So we're going to spend maybe 10 minutes now on this text, and grace is going to arrive at every millisecond of these 10 minutes and help me if I'm relying upon him. Same with you as you listen. That's what I mean. It's a tower. It's coming. It's future. I hope in it. I'm trusting in it to help me uh, through these next 10 minutes. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So one, two, three references to grace. What does it do in verse 10? Well, it makes him what he is. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And we talked about how that relates back here to his being an unworthy apostle and the least of the apostles. And now, now the question is, what does it say going forward? I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. What would, what would in vain faith be? empty faith, I mean, in vain grace be? Well, it would be the opposite of this. He says, well, on the contrary to it being in vain, not in vain, on the contrary, I worked hard. So grace would have come to Paul in vain if it had not made him a worker. If, if grace came to Paul on the Damascus road and saved him and forgave him his sins and turned away the wrath of God, and uh, closed off hell, and opened heaven, and Paul just just sat down on a chair for the rest of his days and said, oh, how happy I am to be saved, my sins are forgiven, and it did nothing in his life. It produced no power, no change, no work. That, Paul says, would have been in vain faith, in vain grace. His grace toward me was not that. It was not in vain. Well, what was it? It was, I worked harder than any of them. So, grace does not replace work, but 
empowers it. Now we have to be careful, don't we? Because when it comes to uh, justification and the forgiveness of our sins, none of our works contribute anything to the work of Christ in covering our sins and in providing our righteousness by way of justification or for the sake of justification. But once that momentary transaction in the courtroom of heaven has happened and God declares us righteous and forgiven, grace not only takes the place of works as the basis of our justification, but grace produces work in our sanctification. Isn't that what it says here? His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So grace does not replace the work of holiness, does not replace our effort. I worked here. This is real felt effort. Labor. The word is labor in the Greek. It does not replace that. It empowers that. So, so many people, I think, get confused at this point, and they think, if you, if you live in grace, you don't expend any human effort, say, to get out of bed or to get up early to get ready for family devotions or to stay out late to help somebody with their homework or to get up off the couch when your dog tired to play with your children. These are efforts. They are they're the kind of thing that involve labor and work. And Paul says, if you are dominated by grace, you overflow with this kind of work. Now, why didn't he just stop there? Why did he go on to say, though I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I? He just said I worked, and now I say I didn't. Not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The reason he didn't stop here is because we could easily construe these words, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them by the grace of God. We could construe that to mean uh, grace starts my work and, and I finish it. We could take it to mean that. And these words, it was not I that was working so hard. It was the grace of God with me, and that is canceled out. No way. It is not true that grace starts my work and I finish it. Look here at Galatians 3. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit through faith, are you now being completed or perfected? Are you finishing by the flesh, that is, by your own effort? Are you saying that the Spirit starts you and the flesh completes you? Did you suffer so many things in vain? 
If indeed it is in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? No, but by hearing with faith. It is faith that begins with the Spirit and faith ends with the Spirit, not the flesh. So this danger that the Church of Galatia was experiencing, namely thinking that the Spirit gets us started in the Christian life and the flesh takes over and we finish it, that is what Paul back here is contradicting when he says, it was not I that was doing all this work. The, the grace of God didn't just get me started. It was not I that was doing all this work. It was the grace of God all the way along that is with me doing this work. It is the grace of God is so decisive and so powerful in the doing of the work that I am doing that it is fitting to say I am not doing it. Now that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Paul says he's doing. It feels like he's doing. To the people around him, it looks like he's doing. And he says, I'm not doing. The grace of God is doing. And of course, he doesn't mean that he's not doing in one sense. He means that decisively the grace of God is so dominant in bringing about his good life that it, all the glory belongs to the grace of God. Paul puts it like this in Philippians. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. You, you work it out with fear and trembling, for God is the one who works in you. That's the same thing Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. God is at work in you. You work it out. And here, I worked. I worked. No, not I. The grace of God that was with me. Now here's the question for next time. If the grace of God is so dominant that we can actually describe our work as not us working, but the grace of God working, what do we do? How do we experience this? If you live by this future grace, this power that is so strong that it's as though you're not working, but he is doing the work. If you live by this, this grace that is enabling you to work like that, well, what are you doing? You just lay in bed? You just hold your breath? How do you live it out? That's where we go next.